Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Monday, April 25th. I'm Nyla Budu. Here's what we're watching. Workers at big chains are still earning less than $15 an hour. And first, today's one big thing. French voters avert a hard right turn. French President Emmanuel Macron won re-election yesterday, defeating far-right candidate Marine Le Pen. Macron also beat Le Pen back in 2017, but in this race, her nationalist message gained more traction. As France grapples with anger over cost-of-living increases, French involvement in Ukraine's war, and much more. Despite Macron's decisive win, it was the closest France has come to electing an extreme-right leader since 1944. I also am aware that many of our compatriots voted for me today not to support my ideas, but simply to build a barricade against the ideas of the far right. That's Macron in his victory speech last night before a crowd of thousands in front of the Eiffel Tower, pledging to be a president for all of France. Freelance journalist Megan Clement has been covering the election and joins us from Paris. Hi, Megan. Hi. What's the mood in Paris like this evening? Uh, I think for a lot of people, it is relief that this dam that we've asked people to build to keep out the far right has held. Can you take a step back and just tell us what was at stake here? The stakes were very high. Uh, Marine Le Pen has worked hard to kind of uh, soften her image in this campaign, but she is a far-right candidate. So the stakes were very high, particularly also with the war going on in Ukraine and what uh, a Eurosceptic, I think it's fair to say, uh, President of France would have been like when France has the presidency uh, of Europe at the moment. But the result in the end was pretty decisive for Macron. Where does he go from here then? So the next five years are going to be very interesting because Macron cannot run again. And a lot will depend on what happens in June when France votes for the parliamentary elections. Marine Le Pen called on all of her supporters to build their own dam against Macron in the parliament. Uh, the left wing candidate who came very close in the first round um, a couple of weeks ago has said he wants to build a left wing bloc that will counter Macron's agenda. So he faces a real a real test uh, in June and how that vote goes will really define how his presidency goes. Freelance journalist Megan Clement joining us from Paris. Thank you, Megan. Thank you so much. These French elections have consequences for the rest of Europe and for the U.S. Here to talk about what Macron's win and its aftermath mean for both is Olivier Knox, a Franco-American journalist who writes the daily 202 newsletter for The Washington Post. I spoke to him Sunday evening, D.C. time. Welcome, Olivier. Bonjour and thank you. What is your big takeaway from the election result that we saw on Sunday? The takeaways, I think, are one, that, that Macron romped to victory, two, that Le Pen has never done as well as she did in this election, and three, the thing that I'm watching for now is how French political scientists dissect the non-voters. Who didn't vote? Who are they demographically? Who are they generationally? Where are they concentrated in France? We're all talking about just this profound societal unease in France, just the, the feeling, again, that they're barely treading water economically, that millions are at risk economically. The French term is precarité, which implies basically a really fragile, unstable economic condition. There are millions of French folks in that, in that situation. And so, again, who didn't vote and why, I think, is an enormously important thing to watch. How does this outcome affect the war in Ukraine, does it? 
Well, it is in some ways a validation of Macron's approach. You know, one of the reasons this election was so important was what could have happened. And what could have happened is the French voters installing a, a new president who's historically uh, had very warm connections to Vladimir Putin. She was one of the first major European politicians to endorse uh, the Russian annexation of Ukraine's Crimea region. She has called for an end to sending military aid, lethal military aid to the Ukrainians. She wants to roll back the economic sanctions on Russia. She's talked about a, a strategic uh, rapprochement between NATO and Russia. This would have been a, an astonishing U-turn. It would have been putting someone who's against the European Union. Um, she's sort of softened her message on that. But if you read closely, she's not in favor of the European Union. She wants to uh, put a premium on French sovereignty. How else should Americans be thinking about how this outcome could affect us here in the U.S.? I think this is going to be mostly continuity for Macron. I think he will continue to talk about the need for greater European uh, assertiveness when it comes to matters of national security. He will continue to place the European Union at the center of, of his foreign policy because that's the only way that a country like France can can play in, in, in the same kinds of leagues as the United States and as China. Again, this is more about what was avoided than what was achieved. Is it tempting to draw parallels between what's going on in France and here in the U.S.? That's always extremely dangerous. It's not an American presidential election. Sure, there are some important things to look at. You know, the strength of populism, of right-wing populism in France uh, and elsewhere, something to look at. There, there were two setbacks this weekend for right-wing populism. Le Pen lost, and then in Slovenia as well, there was a, a, a vote where the right-wing populists lost. So, um, you know, it, it's very, very dangerous to draw direct parallels, but you can sort of see some of the forces of right-wing populism on the ebb, at least in Europe. The Washington Post's Olivier Knox, thank you so much. My pleasure. In a moment, we're back with why wages are staying low for the majority of big chain workers. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boudou. Just as the high cost of living was one of the biggest issues in the French election, rising costs are also on the minds of Americans, as inflation spike takes a toll. But for many workers at large American companies, wages are staying below $15 an hour, despite widespread labor shortages and record low jobless claims. Axios Markets correspondent Emily Peck is here to explain more. Hi, Emily. Hello. So according to the data that you looked at, how many workers are making less than $15 an hour if you're thinking about retail, fast food, hospitality, and those big companies? So the data set I looked at is really robust and interesting. This data set was about 21,000 hourly workers surveyed, representing 66 companies, the big ones, Amazon and UPS, Walmart, Starbucks, McDonald's, Subway, and workers had to report, you know, how much they're paid. The majority are making less than $15 an hour. So 44 companies out of the 66. And on top of that low hourly wage rate, how many workers are struggling to make ends meet because they can't get enough shifts to be full time? Which also to me does not make sense. If there's not enough workers, why aren't people able to be employed for a 40-hour work week? Really, it's because employers don't want to provide the benefits that go along with full-time wages, right? Like you have to clear a certain hourly hurdle to get health benefits or sick time at a lot of these companies. And if you can keep workers below that threshold, you can save yourself a lot of money. It's cheaper to have two workers working like 28 hours a week than one working, you know, 
40 or more. Is $15 an hour, which I mentioned because activists have been pushing for that as the federal minimum wage for a decade now, is that still a living wage in 2022? I mean, you could argue it wasn't even when they started pushing for this. But yeah, someone working full-time at $15 an hour is going to earn a little more than $30,000 a year. And that's less if they need sick days. And many of these workers do not get sick days, you know, paid sick days. And meanwhile, we have record high inflation. So really eroded the power of that $15. Today's $15 is the equivalent of $11.97 when Fight for 15, you know, got underway in 2012. I mean, if you took inflation into account, you'd have to call it <laughs> Fight for 1880. That would get you the same, you know, purchasing power as $15 back in 2012. And, you know, people will say, well, no one really earns the minimum wage or, you know, this isn't really an issue because most people earn more than that. But it, it really is an issue. Like these numbers represent millions of people. Emily Peck is co-author of the Axios Markets newsletter. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. That's it for us today. You can always text me your feedback and story ideas. I'm at 202-918-4893. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.